And this is an exciting week for me because we have a, an amazing guest speaker to open the word with us today. We're between two different series. I'll tell you about our next series later today. But uh, we have the privilege of being able to sit under the teaching of Dr. Glenn Packham this morning. If you're not familiar with Glenn or his work, you're about to be. Uh, he is a, a brilliant man, a scholar, a father of four. He and his wife live in Colorado Springs. They've been serving at New Life Christian Church there since 2000. Glenn is an author of six books, including the two that you may have heard of, Broken, Blessed, and Giving. Give, <laughs> Broken, Blessed, and Given. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, about communion, the Eucharist, uh, and also worship in the world to come, which we're going to talk about more tonight at a seminar that you're all welcome to attend uh, in this room at 7 p.m. Uh, Glenn is a pastor. He's the senior associate pastor of New Life Christian Church, serves on a team there, and leads one of their many congregations around the Colorado Springs area. And man, Glenn has been this expert that we've been watching from afar for several years. I got to spend a little bit of time with Glenn's senior leadership team at his church when he was out of the country last year. And so I'm like, man, I really want to meet Glenn Packiam. And so Pastor Buzz uh, took the initiative to reach out, start a conversation. Glenn's been serving our church from afar. He got to jump in on Zoom and equip our worship team this last year. And so it's such a privilege to introduce you to Dr. Glenn Packiam this morning. So let's welcome him to Three Crosses as he comes and opens the word for us. I'm so excited. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Mr. Danny, sorry, I had my box switched off there. My, that's my bad. Uh, good morning, everyone. Great to see you this morning. And those of you joining us online, uh, grateful that you're able to do so uh, wherever you find yourself today. Uh, it's an honor to be here. This is a wonderful church which, with an amazing legacy and heritage and an exciting future ahead of it. You believe that here about Three Crosses? I believe that. I've been here <laughs> just being with you this morning and spending time with Pastor Danny. You know, listen, this has been a hard year, a hard season for lots of people in lots of different uh, professions, people in uh, education, people in medicine, healthcare, all of the different uh, you know, business owners that have felt the strain of this past year. But you may not realize this, but it's been a, a very difficult year for pastors as well, trying to discern and navigate how to, you know, when to open, how to open, how to serve people, what to do, uh, navigating some of the different attentions that are occurring in society and culture, and, uh, and, and how to reach people. I mean, listen, none of us signed up for this because we wanted to be TV evangelists, you know. Uh, we all love seeing the people of God face to face, so it's been an amazing thing. And I just want to take a moment and, and ha have you join me in honoring your pastor, uh, Pastor Danny, and the team here at Three Crosses for the job that they've done in leading you through this year. So thank you for that. And a, a big shout out to Pastor Buzz and Tara and their boys. They uh, picked us up from the airport yesterday and drove us through the Muir Woods, and it was a beautiful time. What a place you live in, man. This is incredible. Yeah, you can thank God for that. I know. You're, I live in Colorado. It's a beautiful place, too. Well, join me in a word of prayer as we open up the scriptures this morning. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you speak to us. We thank you for your word to us. We ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would quicken our hearts and our minds, cause us to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, to have our hearts and our minds open to understand and to believe and to be challenged and to be changed to the glory of the Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Uh, like Pastor Danny said, I've lived in Colorado Springs for 21 years, worked at New Life Church uh, that whole time in a variety of different roles. But I grew up in Malaysia. Malaysia is where I'm 
uh, actually from originally. A little bit of my family story. My dad grew up in a Hindu family. My mom uh, was a nominal sort of Christian in an Anglican family. She was born in Singapore. And um, my dad went to, to the University of Singapore, as my mom did as well. And that's where they met. And as things began to get a bit more serious in their dating relationship, my mom said, listen, I'm not going to marry a Hindu. And he said, okay, uh, hang on a minute. And then he converted. Now, of course, <laughs> of course it wasn't that simple, and I'm, and I'm being funny about it, but it is a rather effective evangelism strategy, though we don't advocate that for our children. Uh, it wasn't obviously that simple, and of course there was some hardship that my dad faced from his family where relationships were strained, to say the least, for many, many years. Uh, but the truth is, in his own heart, there had been this hunger, this awakening in him, and he had found, felt sort of an emptiness uh, in the Hindu religion of his family, a distance, a coldness about some of the uh, experience with it, and was drawn to this story of a loving God, a God who uh, loves us and who came to die for us and to forgive us. And so no doubt that was part of what drew him. And they were attending an Anglican church in Malaysia for a number of years, and then a friend invited them to join a Bible study led by a Baptist pastor. So they're going to the Anglican church on Sundays, and then on Wednesdays they're part of this Bible study. And then a few years later, the kind of renewal movements that uh, happened here in the West Coast of the United States and different parts of the country began sweeping the globe, and they began to be introduced to some of the stuff about the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Spirit and all of that. And they started this little Sunday night deal with some friends where they were playing guitars and singing songs, you know, the Maranatha stuff and, uh, you, that you all probably know well uh, here on the West Coast. And this is stuff that they began, they began to do in their uh, church in Malaysia. And eventually the Lord began to call them out of their vocations into uh, ministry life in a local church or to prepare for that. So my dad was an executive at an ad agency and my mom was teaching English uh, to students that had come into Malaysia from other regions of, of Southeast Asia. And both of them gave up their careers and followed the, the call of God. And my sister and I have one older sister and we moved from Malaysia to Portland, Oregon, where my parents went to Bible college and they studied there uh, full time for three years. Those were exciting years, met lots of different uh, wonderful people in that church. And, and then we moved back to Malaysia. I finished out my high school years and then I came uh, back to the States to go to college in Tulsa, Oklahoma, same school ORU where uh, Buzz and, and, and Tara went. And, uh, and I, I was there in the late, uh, mid, mid to late 90s. I met my wife there. I was a junior. She was a freshman. And you'll have to forgive the stereotypes, but when I first met her, you know, she had blonde hair, blue eyes, tan, and I thought she must be from California. You know, what did I know? I'm just watching American TV. What did I know? Uh, it turns out she's a farm girl from Iowa, and how else do a farm, does a farm girl from Iowa and a kid from Malaysia meet except for something of the hand of God? And this August marks 20 years of marriage for us. We're very, very grateful. Uh, as Pastor Danny mentioned, we have four kids, 16, 14, 11, and 8, girl, girl, boy, girl, and our youngest, our 8-year-old Jane, is here with me today. Give a little wave, Jane. Jane's on her first daddy-daughter uh, ministry trip. So I say all that to give you a little bit of backdrop about myself, and part of the way that our family story uh, worked and the way that I grew up is that it really 
gave me an appreciation for the body of Christ and all of its diversity. Uh, gave me an appreciation for the global church and the many different streams. And sometimes we build these fences and these walls between denominations or traditions and uh, we kind of fence ourselves off. But every once in a while, the spirit tears down those walls and we recognize, man, there's gifts in all of these many different traditions, amen? And my own life is sort of a fruit of that, of the, of the mixing and mingling together of different Christian uh, streams, if you will, and traditions. But the other thing about my upbringing is that it also taught me to appreciate great food. <laughs> <laughs> from all around the world. Uh, and, and, and as I thought about it, you know, there is sort of this lowest common denominator here. There is bread that is common in cultures all around the world. Now, this is uh, close to the kind of uh, thing in Malaysia that, that we called roti, which is sort of like this, like a flattened non-bread, slightly flakier is the kind that I uh, was used to growing up. But roti is, is super delicious, you know, like uh, you, you, you'd go to the store around the corner or the shop around the corner and you'd you know, you'd, you'd buy this for maybe 50 cents and you would rip off pieces and dip it in this little lentil curry. I know, I'm making myself hungry right now. But this is like my childhood, a blast from the past, eating roti. But the more I thought about it, I thought, man, there's bread in every culture just about, I think, around the world, you know. Uh, different forms of it. There, there's um, njara in Ethiopia. There's naan in India. There's tortillas in, in Latin cultures. Uh, Chinese cultures have bao bread, which is these buns with, with sweet barbecue pork. Man, I'm getting hungry again. And... Uh, and then, of course, in the Midwest, where my wife is from, there's sliced white bread. And what a wonder that is. <laughs> and, and here in the Bay Area, you have San Francisco sourdough, right? I mean, what a, what a, what a classic thing. And bread is common in, in many, many cultures around the world. And, and today, most of the folks in my household are gluten-free. So we have keto bread, which is interesting, you know. Um, but it does the job and uh, supposedly is better. So... <laughs> But bread around the world makes us recognize that it, it, is, it is the very commonness of bread that makes it maybe an apt metaphor for our lives, maybe a perfect metaphor for our lives. Because when we think about ourselves, maybe even our life in Christ, we think, well, you know, maybe there are Christians that are remarkable, there are Christians that are extraordinary, there are Christians that do really great, cool things. But me, I'm, you know, I'm just sort of uh, common. I'm a, you know, like a staple in the diet. I'm just the, like, like the bread. And maybe there's a different way you'd fill in the blanks, but if you were to say uh, in an honest conversation with someone in the church, you'd say, well, I don't know about that because I'm just, and you fill in the blanks, I'm just a business person, or I'm just a stay-at-home parent, or I'm just a retired, you know, and, and, and you, we have a way of discounting or disqualifying ourselves because of either the mundane quality of our lives or the messy nature of our lives. And at the risk of stretching the bread metaphor too far, maybe for some of us, we're not just ordinary like bread, we're like day-old bread. <laughs> Dead a little bit, bread a little bit past the use-by date. We're like, God, I don't know, can you do anything with me? I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of bread that's been out on the counter a bit too long. But bread in the scriptures take on a particular significance. In the Old Testament, bread becomes the symbol of the very word of God. It represents the, the instructions that God gave to his people. And bread also was a signifier of the character of God, not only the, the contents of his speaking speech, but the God who is himself the provider. And then when you get to the Gospels, Jesus, when he's giving one of the ways of describing his life and mission in the world, he says, I am the bread of heaven given for the life of the world, which 
If you could just stop for a moment, and maybe for some of you, it is kind of a shocking thing to say, but those of you that have been around church for a long time, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know, I memorized that. You know, it's in the Gospel of John, whatever. But just stop for a minute and think about how surprising that might be. Like if Jesus were to choose a food item off the menu to compare his life and mission and ministry to, like Jesus, maybe the prime rib of heaven. You need better PR, Jesus. The bread of heaven is not very exciting. Like how are you going to get followers when you say you're the bread of heaven? But maybe Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was trying to help us recognize that the miracle of the incarnation is not that God became extraordinary, but that God took on the very ordinary stuff of our human life. The miracle of the incarnation is that God became flesh so that we can understand our vocation as human beings, so that we can understand that it's in our very commonness and ordinariness that our lives take on the grace and glory of God. And so this Today, I want us to reflect on these three words, blessed, broken, given. Every time Jesus took bread in his hands, he did these three things. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to people. We see it in Luke's gospel alone. We see it three times. He does it in Luke 9 when he's feeding the 5,000. He does it in Luke 22 at the Passover, and he does it in Luke 24. And we're going to read some of these texts today. But I want us to start with the first word, blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Now, if you were to kind of do a little query on social media and look up hashtag blessed, <laughs> chances are you'll see pictures of beautiful vacations, maybe gorgeous California sunsets, and maybe an artisan latte with foam designed in a little leaf. And people are like, mm, blessed. I'm so blessed. If someone was trying to figure out our vocabulary, they'd be looking at our posts and being like, I guess to be blessed means to have life working out just the way you want. I guess to be blessed means to have all of your circumstances and all of the conditions of your life to be perfectly just the way you want it. Hashtag blessed. Now in the scriptures, to be sure, when you see the word blessed, especially in the Old Testament, it does overlap a little bit with our notion of success. It does overlap a little bit with the understanding of sort of material prosperity. There is an overlay, but if you keep reading in the Old Testament, you start to recognize that some of the people who are going through the worst and hardest stuff are still blessed. That sometimes these things don't actually go together, and the people who have everything working out are actually not living the kind of life the Psalms and the wisdom literature would describe as blessed. We can't do a whole tour de force of the Old Testament, but I do want us to look at Genesis. If you want to understand what it means to be blessed, we have to go back to the beginning of the story. And in Genesis 1, God is creating the heavens and the earth. And unlike any of the other ancient origin accounts of how the cosmos began, those stories are stories of gods at war and gods hurling things into the heavens and one becomes the moon and one becomes the sun. And these are ancient stories of gods creating human beings to do their grunt work. But Genesis tells a different story. It emerges into this region of the world in the same time period and says, let me tell you a different story. There's actually one God and he made all of this, number one, on purpose and number two, with pleasure. 
on purpose and with pleasure. And at the very end of the story, it's the story of creating human beings. And they're not an afterthought. They're not God's grunt force. They're actually God's crowning creation. And Genesis 1.27 says God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. And God blessed them. God blessed them. In the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, but by the time of Jesus, it had been translated into Greek so that Greek speakers could read it. It's called the Septuagint. And the Greek word for blessed there in Genesis 1 is the same root word that we get the word eulogy from. Now, just, just, just reflect on this for a moment. A eulogy is usually at the end of someone's life. We say good things about them. I want you to know, church, that at the beginning of the creation of the heavens and the earth, God says good things about you. God gives this eulogy of creation and says, I'm going to bless it. See, very often we think that our story begins with all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And did you know it's, it may be the first step of the Romans road, but it's not the first act of the Bible. It's not the way your story began. And maybe some of you, you just know just enough about church to know that there's an image of an angry, scolding God who's wagging his finger at you and saying, shame on you, you shouldn't have, and look at how awful you are, you dirty, rotten, miserable sinner. And maybe it's time to remember that actually in Genesis 1, you have a doting father who delights over you, who says, I'm making all of this stuff, but here's the thing I'm most excited about. And he makes you and me, and he says, this is supremely good. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. And God saw everything that he had made, and it was supremely good. God's first word over you is a word of blessing. God's first word over you is a word of delight and love and pleasure. And so to be blessed actually means to be returned to our true identity. In a world where everybody's saying, well, this is who you are, and this is who you are, and this is the defining voice, and this is the defining word, your father says, let me tell you, the first word over you is a word of blessing. Come on. I know you're already filling in the story and you're like, well, Glenn, that's nice, but there's also Genesis 3 and there's sin and you're right. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But not only does this story have a good beginning, it has this incredible, gracious moment of redemption. And Paul refers to this in Ephesians 1, verse 3. He says, bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise and speak well of God. And then he says, why? Because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God in Christ. Not only did God the creator speak a blessing, but God the redeemer speaks a blessing over you and me. God the redeemer, God in Christ speaks this blessing. And then he says, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence. Now, when? Before the creation of the world. Isn't that something? Before it before he even starts making night and day and sun and moon, he says, you know what? I'm going to make human beings, but I've already decided I'm choosing them. God chose you. Before the very creation of the world, he chose you. And it says God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his goodwill and plan. 
Eugene Peterson, who translated the message paraphrase, wrote so many books on pastoral ministry. I was privileged 10 or 11 years ago to spend a couple days in his home with he and his wife, Jan. And Eugene tells a story of translating this passage and trying to get around all of our, sometimes we get these Christian debates about predestination and what do we do? And he says, what, what if we just thought of this as the destination God had in mind for you? And he tells a story of being in the airport in Greece and that same Greek word proorismos shows up as a departure gate. And it says, destination, Athens, destination, London, wherever the gate was going. And what if before the creation of the world, we imagine that God says, I have a destination in mind for you, for Jim, for Sally, for Susie, for Joe. I've got a destination in mind and the destination I have in mind is for you to be my sons and daughters my beloved children, before the creation of the world. See, friends, this is what it means to be blessed. It's to be returned to our true identity. We have four children, and when our oldest was little, one of the greatest pieces of advice we got from another uh, parent was to say, hey, you, you should start a journal for each kid and just write down some stuff in there. And we're like, oh, that's a great idea. So, you know, first few months, you're writing like a page a week. You know, new pa- first-time parents are like, that you did this, and then you did this. Uh, and we added more kids, and we started writing in it a little bit less. But it became less about, you know, your favorite blankie and what we would do to put you to bed for the seventh time in the same night, or, you know. It became less about that and more about, like, things that we would see in them. And we'd say, oh, this is what you used to do, and this is how you, this is some of the phrases you would say. And we'd, then we'd start to write in it, you know, the gifts that we'd see in them, and at least twice a year, my wife and I go away for a couple nights to pray and plan for the season ahead, and we always take time to fill in these journals for the kids, and so over the years, there's at least two entries a year, and when our oldest turned 13, we took her out for breakfast, and we gave her her journal to read, and we said, Sophia, you, you may know this, you may not know this, but we've been writing in this since uh, you were a baby, and we're going to keep writing in it, and it's going to be yours to keep when you're 18 and you graduate from high school. But for now, as you enter into your teenage years, we want you to know that there's going to be a lot of voices that compete for your identity. A lot of voices that are going to try to say, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. And we just want you to know we, we were there from your very first breath. We've been watching you. We were there at the beginning, and this is who we say you are. This is what we see in you. And there's a story in there of her, four years old, standing on the kitchen table saying, I'm going to lead you all in worship. <laughs> she grabs a little turkey baster and she's singing for us. Well, she's, she's 16 and this Sunday morning back in Colorado Springs, she's leading worship at the church. Amen. Sometimes as parents, you get it right. Yeah, sometimes as parents, you see the glimpse and you're like, that, that's there. And listen, you, you may or may not have journals like that for yourself or for your kids, but your father has a story on you. And I know the Bible doesn't exactly le- read like that, but it is indeed a story that we find ourselves in. The scriptures give us our origin story, and it's a good beginning, and it's a gracious redemption, and it's a glorious ending. Somebody say amen, church, right? Come on. A good beginning and a glorious ending. But then we get to the second word, the word broken, and you think, well, if only we could stop there, (laughs) Glenn. If only we could pause right there on on being blessed and how wonderful that would be. 
But Jesus, when he takes bread, blesses it, and then he breaks it. As if to say that he understands that life is full of brokenness. And there's several ways we could define brokenness. I want to just give you three versions of brokenness that we see all around us. The first is the brokenness of frailty. Brokenness of frailty. This is the stuff that Pastor Danny was alluding to. You know, you're going through COVID. You're going through this stuff. And we're all feeling a little bit thin. You're like, man, I just, I'm at the edge. I'm tired. Sorry, I was cranky. I'm just, you know. We're at the edges of our humanity. We're frail. But there's another kind of brokenness that's the brokenness of failure. When you say, no, no, actually, (laughs) I actually did something wrong. I messed up. I fell short. I, I shouldn't have. There's actual real failure that we have to grapple with. Sin. And then there's the brokenness, and we use this word broken, but we're referring to the fallenness of the world around us. And even as we remember families who are grieving, loved ones lost in battle and war in this Memorial Day weekend, we're very mindful that that's those situations of conflict and strife and war and oppressors and all of that stuff reminds us of the fallenness of the world. The events that happened here in San Jose at the shipyard over the weekend, another reminder of the fallenness of the world. What do we do with this fallenness? We're going to experience this kind, some kind of brokenness at some point in our life. That's not a promise, it's just reality. The question is, will we place that brokenness in Jesus' hands or will we try to navigate it on our own? See, I'm not here to discuss or dissect whether or not Jesus causes things, but I do know that it's better to let our brokenness be in his hands than not. Because what happens when our broken lives are in Jesus' hands is that our brokenness turns into openness. To be broken is to be opened up to the grace of God. To be broken is not just to be in shambles, but it's actually to be opened up. See, I told you about roti and how by, by ripping it up and opening it up, you can dip it in. This is what happens to bread. Every time bread is open, is broken, it becomes able and ready to absorb. The porous parts of the bread open up. You, you could really see it if we ripped off a piece of the sourdough and said, oh, great. And if we had some olive oil or melted butter or something, oh, my goodness, now we're really getting hungry. <laughs> but it's the brokenness of bread that leads to openness, readiness to absorb. And as Christians, we can say, if I place my brokenness in Jesus' hands, that's when I become open to the grace of God. In the third blessed, broken, given story that Luke tells, it's at the end of his gospel, Luke 24, Jesus encounters these disciples who are disappointed. In fact, they have downcast faces, and they say at one point to Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus, but they said, we had hoped that this would be the Messiah. We had hoped. You could write down your own version of I had hoped this morning, couldn't you? You could say, I had hoped to find Christians who weren't phony. Oh, I had hoped to find Christians who, I had hoped to find help. I had hoped to find, and you can fill in the blank. What does Jesus do when he finds us with the brokenness of our disappointment and disillusionment? And he finds us saying to him, oh, Jesus, we had hoped. What happens is they invite Jesus into their home. And in the midst of their sadness and their sorrow, they're smart enough to say, maybe we should be nice to this stranger. Uh, you want to stay for dinner? 
And it's one of my favorite moments in the gospel because it says Jesus acting like he was going to go on. Jesus just, just wanted to see. Going to welcome me in? But he welcomed, they welcome him in, and this is what it says it happens next. In verse 30, it says, after he took his seat at the table with them, he took bread. And he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight, and they said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures to us? See, in Jewish culture, the guest is not supposed to be the one who blesses the meal. That's not the guest's job. That's the host's job. But here's the thing about Jesus. <laughs> you might welcome him into your life, but he's about to take over. You might welcome him in saying, oh, Jesus, I welcome you into my heart. And it might sound like this little cutesy thing, a little favor we're doing, Jesus. Okay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. He's like, I'm coming, but I'm coming as the host. I'm coming to serve a banquet to you. I'm coming to give you my own body and blood as bread and cup. I'm coming to give you my life. I'm coming as the host that's about to give the blessing. And in that moment, Jesus takes bread and Jesus blesses it and Jesus breaks it and Jesus gives it and their eyes are opened. Where there was despair, there now is hope. And where there was sorrow, there is now the beginnings of joy. We welcome Jesus into these moments of our brokenness, and he fills it with his grace. One of the more beautiful illustrations of this comes from a kind of art pottery known as kintsugi in the Japanese. Kintsugi literally means the golden seams or golden join, joinery. And what happened hundreds of years ago is that pottery would break and it was very precious and expensive pottery and in order to repair it, they'd fill it with this golden resin. But it came to be so beautiful that art traders in the 15th century or so, when they arrived, they said, whoa, 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 what's that one? We want that one with the gold in it with the golden seams, and all of a sudden, the thing that had been broken became more beautiful than the thing that had not been. I don't know how the grace of God does it, but somehow God takes the thing that has been broken by suffering or sin or shame, and he fills our lives so that what emerges is more beautiful than what could have been without it. That's why St. Augustine, the church father from North Africa said, Oh, happy fault, Felix Culpa. Oh, how great the fault. What a wonderful fault. And he's talking about the fall of humanity. And you're like, whoa, whoa, Augustine, what do you mean? Happy fault. Why would you say that? And he says, because it gained for us so great a redeemer. Somehow, if there had not been sin, there would not have been a savior. Somehow, if there had not been brokenness, there would not be beauty. Somehow, if we had not failed, we would not have known the miracle of God's amazing grace. And that's what happens when we place our brokenness in Jesus' hands. The third and the final word is the word given. The book of Acts, Luke, the, by tradition, Luke wrote both his gospel and the book of Acts. And there's lots of parallels between Acts and Luke. There lots of overlapping movements. And one of these places of parallels, those of you that are into literature, you'll spot it. But one of the moments of parallel is Luke ended his gospel, we read it, with the blessed, broken, given story of Jesus with these disappointed disciples who are, watch this, walking away from Jerusalem. It's a story of grace outside religious spaces. The book of Acts 
pushes that even further. It's a story of grace happening on a pagan prison ship. Paul is a prisoner on this, on this ship and they encounter a major storm and he's trying to get the attention of the captain. The captain won't listen to him. And they're like, Paul, you tell that guy to sit back down. He's just a prisoner. And finally, he says, no, 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 I've had this visitation from an angel. I've got a word for you. And they're like, okay, okay, let's hear him. Nothing else is working anyway. And Acts 27, verse 33 says, just before daybreak, Paul urged everyone to eat. He said, this is the 14th day you've lived in suspense and you haven't had even a bite to eat. I urge you to take some food. Your health depends on it. None of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after he said these things, he took bread, gave thanks to God. That Greek word there is the word eucharisteo. Luke tells a total of four blessed, broken, given stories, but only twice does he use the word eucharist or eucharisteo for blessing. Once is at the Lord's Supper, Passover, and the other is here on a prison ship. You think Luke's trying to tell us something? Holy things can happen in ordinary places. Holy things can happen in, in unexpected moments and places. And here's Paul saying, I'm going to do something churchy. I'm out in the world here. I'm out in this prison ship, a hostile crew, but I'm going to pray like I'm in church. <laughs> I wonder if COVID has taught us that. That we can take the things that we do in here and we can say, well, let's do that out there too. Both and. Let's gather with the people of God, but let's also go and be given. And as he takes the spread, it says everyone was encouraged and took some food. See, to be given is to be sent into the world for the sake of the world. To be given is to be sent into the world for the life of the world. I know some of you are like, well, I'll, I'll wait. Pastor, I'll wait till I got my life together, and then I'll ask God about what his purpose is for me. Right now, I just, I, look, I get it. There are seasons where we need repair and restoration. I, I totally get it. But I also want you to recognize that the order of the words is not, I was broken, I am now blessed, and therefore I can be given. That's not the sequence. It's Jesus blessed you even when you didn't see your life was worthy of blessing. And life continues to, <laughs> to deliver on the punches. And sometimes it's our own failure that contributes to the pain. But even in our brokenness, there is grace. And out of our brokenness comes our givenness. You see, bread that isn't broken can't be shared. Bread that isn't broken can't be shared. But once we're broken, we're like, okay, well, you might as well share me now, God. Might as well use me. I didn't ask for this story. I didn't ask for this pain. I didn't ask for this to be part of my journey. But since we're here, you might as well use me. I've been at New Life Church for 21 years. Six years into my time, there was a humiliating scandal with the founding senior pastor that made headlines all around the world. I'm only glad that the internet then was not what it is today. And then, you know, eight, nine months later, in the summer of 2007, our new senior pastor came in, Pastor Brady Boyd. He's been a godsend, a man I love and respect, a dear friend. He's done a remarkable job leading our church. And it would have been hard enough for him to come in following that. But then 100 days into his tenure, a gunman came on the campus of our church on a Sunday 
Opened fire in the parking lot, took the lives of two teenage girls, started walking in a hallway, spraying bullets. An off-duty security guard apprehended him and prevented uh, a worse situation. So we had scandal and tragedy 13 months apart. And one of my dear friends, a worship pastor at New Life, John Egan, he called me that afternoon. He goes, Glenn, Glenn this is it, right? I mean, how, you can't, this, the story ends here, doesn't it? I said, man, I don't know. A few days later, we rallied the church and we said, come together for a night of worship and prayer. We don't know what to do, but we know we got to turn to Jesus. We didn't know who would come, who would want to come into that building, but on that Wednesday night, it was standing room only. People packed out the place. And I was part of the worship team that night, and we sang a song that John had written called Overcome. It's a song that went on to become well-known, was recorded by the recording artist Jeremy Camp, and it charted on the radio, but honestly, we could care less about all that stuff. We will forever and always remember the way that song sounded that Wednesday night when our church desperately needed hope and needed to remember the Savior who's worthy of all. And later, there were services and memorial services and lots of tears and lots of meetings that followed with the parents of the teen girls and the parents of the gunmen and beautiful moments of words of blessing and forgiveness to each other. But as we began to recover from that and the economic stuff is hitting in 2008 and the church is reeling from it, Somehow in the midst of that, the Lord spoke to Pastor Brady and he said, look, we, we can't be a church that just attends to our own wounds. We've got to be a church that allows the Lord to use this pain for the sake of our city. And where we had been a church that was all about sort of culture wars and external stuff, we said, you know what, let's just look at the pain in our own city. And we began to meet with people and say, where are the gaps of coverage here in our own city. And we recognize that for women who are ages 16 to 65, it was difficult for them to find access to medical care, so we opened a women's clinic. Free medical care for women. A few years after that, it began to expand and, and some, some people came to the table with opportunities and we were able to purchase a small apartment complex, 18 units that became housing for single moms and their kids who were usually uh, in situations of homelessness because they were fleeing domestic violence, sleeping in their cars in Walmart parking lots, concerned that if they asked for help, they might lose their kids. And the church built this thing, we called it Mary's home. After Mary, the mother of Jesus, whom Jesus on the cross says, woman, behold your son, knowing that she too would need someone to care for her. This, the women can stay in the, these apartments for, I think it's up to three years or so, and they receive help and counseling, but also career training and guidance. And we've, it's been going long enough now that many, many graduates have gone on to move on and get their own place into affordable housing and restart and reset their lives by God's grace. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. <laughs> to God be the glory, but none of that would have been possible if we didn't recognize that it's our own limp and our own scars that allow us to recognize and stand with others in their pain. See, some of you are waiting for it all to be much better before you ask God what, you, what he can use you to do. And I'm here to tell you, to be blessed and to be broken and to be given is to place all of you, all of your life in Christ's hands. Not only our lives as individuals and people, but also as a church. What does God want for three crosses through this? What might his story be for our church in the midst of this, for your church in the midst of this? You see, in Jesus' hands, bread becomes more than bread. 
In Jesus' hands, my life becomes more than just my life. One church becomes more than just one church. In Jesus' hands, his grace and glory arrives in us and through us for the life of the world. Would you stand with me? Invite the worship team to come and we're gonna respond and we're gonna come to the table of the Lord in a moment, but we're gonna sing first. And as we sing, as we get ready to sing, I wanna invite you all over the room, wherever you are watching online, to open up your hands like this. It's just a way to say with our posture, here I am, Lord. I might feel like I'm just bread, but here I am, Lord. Take my life. Take every part of my story. Return me to my true identity. Fill me up with the grace of God and send me out into the world. Blessed, broken, and given. We ask you, Jesus, to come. We ask you to come by your spirit. Receive us, every part of who we are, for the first time or for the 1,000th time. Here we are. Take us, Jesus. Even as we come to your table, we rehearse and remember our blessedness. We confess our brokenness. And we embrace our givenness for the world. In Christ's name, amen.